When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. I'm Hugh Atchison. I'm a chef, a restaurateur, a traveler, and now I'm the host of The Passenger. People ask me all the time, you know, what's that list of places to go in this city, in that city? And this show is dedicated to that idea, immersing yourself in that culture and finding out what's intriguing and what we think about the future of that place as a visitor, as a passenger. The first season of The Passenger premieres February 27th. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, can you hear that? Do you hear that in the background? What? It's a faint ticking sound. It's the sound of our fertility clocks. Oh, I wonder. Ticking down. Yeah, I wondered why I was so anxious all the time. Yeah, it's because we, as... Females were born with a finite amount of eggs, and at some point they're going to run out. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, We're talking about fertility today. Why are we talking about fertility today? Because, uh, well, childbirth comes up a lot in the podcast, but we also talk about delaying childbirth Mm -hmm. and career and all those different things that really go into that childbirth and pregnancy uh, question. And one thing, especially as... As I get older, I started to think about it more without child bearing directly on my horizons. I think every now and then, like, well, how long do I have? Yeah. And I mean, there's probably, you know, more than just a personal reason why you feel like that. It could have something to do with the fact that you are, as a woman, bombarded by stuff in the news, books, articles, studies, all about how that clock is ticking. You're running out of time. And by the time you hit 35, that little timer is going to ding and you're done for, sister. But at the same time, while all that's going on, the fastest growing rates for childbearing are among women who are over 40. This was recently reported by NPR and other news outlets. So we figured it was time to talk about fertility. Yeah. How long can you have a baby? Let's start with when women are most fertile. A lot of the information is going to come from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, Mayo Clinic, National Institutes of Health, and Parenting Magazine. So tell me, Caroline, when women are most likely to get pregnant. Sometime around finals when they're 20. (laughs) College finals? College finals. Yeah, when you're studying for your college finals when you're 20. Uh, that's when you're most fertile, between 20 and 24 years old. And by the time you are 40, between 40 and 45, that fertility has dropped. It's, it's a strange percentage range here between 50 and 95 percent. 
So from either a dice roll to just don't even try. Right, exactly. Okay. Uh, and for an idea of what's going on in between those uh, 20 to 45 years, 20% of U.S. moms have their first baby, in fact, after 35. And that's notable because 35 is often a number tossed around as when you really ought to start thinking about fertility. That's when that clock for a lot of women and a lot of what we hear, at least, about fertility, that's when the alarm bells start to go off. Um, but like I said, a lot of women over 40 are starting to have kids. And as a result, the Wall Street Journal reported that gynecologists are talking to patients more often about fertility. Yeah. Now, why, why is this even an issue? Why, why are we talking about it? And a lot of it has to do with what Kristen touched on a second ago, which is that a lot of us women are waiting longer to have kids. We're waiting longer to get married. We're waiting longer to have kids, whether that's for career or travel or school. You know, all of a sudden there there is a lot of concern about, well, wait, but I'm not done doing X, Y, Z yet, uh, climbing the career ladder or, you know, going to Thailand or what have you. Um, so how long, you know, how long can I wait until I have a child? Yeah, and we're going to offer a, a fertility age breakdown just to get a sense of how our, our fertility kind of wanes over the years. But if you start getting a little bit anxious as we start throwing out some of these numbers, keep in mind that there is more to these percentages than, than just uh, than just statistics. Right. You know? There's a lot of nuance going on that has led some people to say, wait a minute, do we need to be freaking out so much about 35? Um, so like we said, 20 to 24-year-old women are very fertile. Uh, they have a 20% chance of getting pregnant and half the risk of gestational diabetes as a 40-year-old woman. And they also have miscarriage rates as low as 9.5%. So p- pretty much if you are a healthy 20 to 24-year-old woman, this is prime baby-having time because your body's all like, hey, what's up? I can, I'm super fertile and I uh, can... Bounce back from pregnancy really quickly. Yeah, like this is the age where you're probably at your fittest. Um, you will probably uh, be able to have a healthy baby, most likely, and be healthier yourself after the pregnancy. There will be, like you said, a quicker bounce back time and quicker weight drop time. But there are issues like that as far as concern for your body, what it'll do to your body, but also that concern about delaying work or career during this period. Um, now, moving on to a health, let's look at a, a healthy 30 year old woman. So we've moved on from the early 20s to now you're 30. You have a 20% chance of getting pregnant every month. So that means for every 100, uh, women trying to get pregnant in one cycle, 20 will. And that was the same, uh, 20% chance as we saw for the 20 to 24 year old. Yeah. So it hasn't really declined by the time you hit 30. But what has changed is that miscarriage rate. Yeah, which has increased to 11.7%. And when by the time you hit 35 and after, that miscarriage rate does rise to about 18%. And interestingly, you're more likely to have multiples in your late 30s. It's like your body's like, get them all out. <laughs> I want to make a lot. 
You've waited long enough. Um, and on a side note, uh, we have not done podcasts focusing on miscarriage or on infertility. So for people listening right now who, who may have experienced both of those things, um, we certainly need to, to talk about those issues as well. Um, but moving on now though to a healthy 40 year old, what do things look like? Well, you got a 5% chance. Because uh, we always hear about how fertility, quote unquote, nosedives at 38. Yeah, but also a startling statistic is that for a healthy 40 year old, 50 percent of those pregnancies end in miscarriage. Why is that? Because at that point you have issues of irregular ovulation, possibly endometriosis. You could face chromosomal abnormalities. But also issues like your uterine lining may not be thick enough or the blood supply to the uterus may be insufficient. You also have an increased risk at that age of placenta previa and placental abruption, which we have talked about before in the podcast. Now, scientists have long puzzled over what exactly is going on on a DNA level. And the National Institutes of Health in May 2013 published a new theory about this. And the new theory maintains that as women age, their eggs actually become riddled with DNA damage and end up dying off because their DNA repair systems wear out. And this links back to our episode on the breast cancer gene, BRCA. Um, and BRCA1 specifically, uh, they found that defects in DNA repair gene, BRCA1, may also lead to egg DNA damage. And so your fertility is linked to the egg cells capacity to repair double stranded DNA breaks. But if you have a defect in that BRCA1 gene, then the eggs cannot repair themselves. So a woman with that gene mutation will probably exhaust her ovarian supply sooner. Right. And so because of all of those issues that we just mentioned, most women do become unable to have a successful pregnancy sometime in their mid-40s. And what I learned uh, is that you're not actually fertile up until menopause. It's not like someone uh, flips off a switch suddenly and you go from being super fertile to completely unfertile. Um, so the average age for menopause is 51, but you start losing that reserve of eggs before the time that you've actually become completely infertile or unable to give birth. Yeah, this is due to something called a gradual loss of, quote-unquote, ovarian reserve, which is, I'm now thinking about my ovaries as like a like a stock room in a grocery <laughs> store that, I don't know, someone walks in and is like, oh, how many do we have this month? <laughs> Not enough artichokes, I don't know. So as we age, that ovarian reserve, that stock room, uh, diminishes. And our follicles actually become less sensitive to follicle-stimulating hormone, so they require more stimulation for an egg to mature and ovulate, which is why we see things like that high rate of miscarriage. And on top of that, we also have the issues with egg quality deteriorating because of things like the increased frequency of genetic abnormalities, um, and also that can lead to the, the higher risk of Down syndrome and uh, other chromosomal disorders, which which uh, are linked to getting pregnant when we are older. Right. And one thing that I will admit that I had not thought of before we were doing the research for this is that even with uh, in vitro fertilization, um, at 43, at age 43, the chance of a successful pregnancy is less than 5%. Because in vitro, 
uh, doesn't just automatically magically make you super fertile and super able to have like 50 children in one go. Um, you still have to take into consideration the basic like health of your eggs, essentially. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rosewater collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Yeah, and um, for women older, between 45 and 49, and I believe this is also specifically related to in vitro, only 0.03% of women that old can have babies. But then it's a question of once you get that old, there are not that many women who are probably trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. But for men, guess what? Y'all are so fertile. Men's infertility usually doesn't set in until they turn around 60. Although... Studies in recent years have also looked at sperm degeneration over the years. And even though you might still be producing it, older gents, it is not as uh, of pristine quality as it is when you are younger. So their sperm is also going a little salt and pepper. A little salt and pepper. Well, it's notable because um, a lot of times... When we consider age and fertility and risk of chromosomal disorders, like something like Down syndrome, mm-hmm. it's usually like linked to the mother and oocytes. But this new research is saying, oh, actually, no, we also need to look at the quality of the sperm as well. So, yeah, well, I mean, my parents, my mom was 35 and my dad was 40 when I was born. So it's it's funny, like, I have a totally different perspective on, like, parental age yeah. and everything. My mother turned 40 when while she was pregnant with me, actually. Um, and so if, if you're feeling a little bit anxious about all of this, you are not alone. There has been a lot of concern about these numbers. And out and out, 
fear mongering surrounding fertility and age, especially because we are delaying childbirth. And by we, I mean, women are delaying childbirth more than ever before. And in 2002, Sylvia Ann Hewlett wrote a book called Creating a Life, and it really sparked a lot of renewed panic over women's fertility versus career planning. Yeah, she basically said that you should have your kids now while you're young and spry or just don't have any at all. And that you should plan, ladies, for grandchildren the way you plan for that corner office. No comment. But um, she cited a statistic that 42 percent of professional 40 year old women women deeply regretted not having kids. Like, really, way to make everybody panic. Like, oh, you think you're happy now with your career and your dog and your husband or your partner? No, you won't. And when you're 40, you're going to be so sad. Well, and I'm sure that there are. I don't think that she made that statistic up, but it's more of how that statistic was broadcast out with things like a related Time magazine cover story, which said, quote, listen to a successful woman discuss her failure to bear a child. And the grief comes in layers of bitterness and regret. Like, wow. okay. there was a New York magazine cover. Baby panic. The UK Observer even jumped in with a, a cover story when it's too late to have a baby. And, and this was preceded by a 2001, now kind of infamous ad campaign by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine called Preserve Your Fertility. And it showed a baby bottle in the shape of an hourglass to which Newsweek said, should you have your baby now? And, um, while these kinds of concerns are, are certainly valid for women to pay attention to, shaking us and saying, just get pregnant already, isn't the way to help us sort through these questions of, do I have a baby now? Do I have a baby later? Do I even want to have a baby? Oh, yeah, I got to go to work now. <laughs> Let's talk about this later. Right. Well, then uh, enter Jean Twenge at The Atlantic, who wrote the book The Impatient Woman's Guide to Getting Pregnant. And she wrote a very fascinating, very long article about not only uh, getting pregnant at different ages or perhaps getting pregnant later in life, but also just that that fertility fear mongering that we were talking about. Jean Twenge herself is a mother of three, all of whom were born after 35. And she starts off her article by talking about like, uh, how, how concerned she was about when and whether she would even get to have children because of a divorce that she went through. Yeah. And she basically took a, a closer look at those statistics that we tossed out about fertility and age that are cited over and over and over again, especially uh, zeroing in on that 35 drop off. And she uncovered more recent studies that once you tease apart the methodology, uh, seem to contradict very strongly just how um, whether or not those numbers are really the gospel. Um, For instance, biostatistician David Dunson, who's now at Duke University, found that there is only a 4% drop in pregnancy rates from age 28 to 37. 4%. That doesn't sound terrifying. And she underscored this, that often cited fertility statistic that one in three women between 35 and 39 won't get pregnant after one year of trying is, wait for it, people, based on French birth records from 1670 
to 1830. Right. I was talking to my older sister about <laughs> this whole fertility age thing, uh, and I mentioned that about the French birth records. And she, I think she might have pounded the table. She was uh, so angry. She's like, what? No, what? Then. Yeah, I mean, and Twinge, as Twinge points out, like, uh, that's in an era before antibiotics or light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, uh, I think, you know, she, she definitely points out that updated studies and statistics are in order. Um, talking further about Dunson's 2004 study examining the chances of pregnancy among 770 European women, uh, Dunson found that with sex at least twice a week, 82% of women 35 to 39 conceived within a year, compared to 86% of women 27 to 34. And so, that, that, I mean, that's really not a huge difference, right? No, although, and not to be crass, there are probably some people listening saying, oh, that's great. Where am I going to find time to have sex twice a week? <laughs> okay, let's schedule that in. Life put is it busy, in your, y'all. Put it in your, uh, your day, day planner. Put it on your, your, get a shared Google calendar. <laughs> there was also a March 2013 study in fertility and sterility, which was led by Kenneth Rothman of Boston University, and it looked at around 3,000 Danish women as they tried to get pregnant, and he found similarly not a huge drop between uh, the chances of 35 to 40 year olds getting pregnant within a year compared to 20 and 34 year olds uh, he found that among women who have sex during their fertile times and that's that's the thing you gotta mm-hmm. look at when people are doing it how often they're doing it how much they're, they're how they're trying to get pregnant and he found that 78 percent of that older group got pregnant within a year compared to 84% among the younger folks. So either way, there's a lot of pregnancies happening. Yeah, and uh, there was another study by Ann Steiner, who's an associate professor at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine, and those results were actually presented in June of this year, so not too long ago. Um, Steiner found that among 38 and 39-year-olds who had been pregnant before, 80% of white women of normal weight got pregnant naturally within six months. She did find, however, that the percentage was lower among women of other ethnic backgrounds and among the overweight. There was not a huge drop in fertility or uh, conceiving uh, until the age of 40. So what's going on here? Where, why do we have these kinds of conflicting statistics? If some saying, oh, you know what, you're going to hit 35 and you're going to have that major drop off. And then these other studies coming around and saying, actually, not so much. Um, basically, it turns out, it, it kind of turns on challenges of accurately gauging natural conception because of things like how modern birth records are a bit uninformative because a lot of women have their kids in their 20s and then they hop on birth control or have sterilization surgery to prevent pregnancy during their 30s and 40s. And also, if you say, well, why don't you just ask a couple how long it took them to conceive or how long they've been trying? And self-reporting is not the most reliable and accurate way to gauge something. No, I mean, I can't even remember. Like, I will go home after recording the podcast, and my roommate will be like, so what did you and Kristen talk about today? And I'm like, uh, uh, something about <laughs> something about grocery stores, stock rooms. I think, yeah, I, I think know. it was about artichokes. I, I can't recall. So, yes, asking people to self-report about anything, especially something as private and personal as their sexual behavior and patterns, 
is a little unreliable. One of the best ways to measure fertility is cycle variability, which is looking at the chance of getting pregnant if a couple has sex, like we just said, on the most fertile day of a woman's cycle. Those studies that are based on cycle variability monitor couples as they attempt to get pregnant rather than asking them after the fact to remember how long it took. And it seems like those more recent studies that take that cycle variability into account and really gauge the pregnancy around that seems like that's where you see those more optimistic statistics in terms of older women. And by older, I mean over 35, which, gosh, that's not actually older, but (laughs) older compared to women in their 20s. A junior in college. Yes. Um, It it, it does seem like when you take all of that into account, the statistics are not that scary. Now, all of this said, things are going to vary from person to person, uh, but at least maybe that can diminish some of the anxiety around it. Although, although, apparently, at least according to more recent reports we've read in, in the news, a lot of women aren't that freaked out. They actually think that they'll be able to have a baby after they're 40 because we're seeing a lot of celebrities doing it. Yeah, Halle Berry, Nicole Kidman, people like that who, you know, they're having these fantastically glamorous lives with wonderful shoes and great skin and they are giving birth to all of these beautiful babies. Yeah, Halle Berry got pregnant when she was 46. Kelly Preston beat her. She got pregnant at 47. Tina Fey also had had a baby at 41. I wonder what her shoes are like. I bet it's just a lot of Toms. Anyway. Yeah, so a lot of trend stories now that we're seeing have a lot to do with women who aren't so much worried that that clock is ticking as they are sort of overly optimistic that it's not ticking at all. I look great. I feel great. I feel like I'm 20. I feel like I'm a junior in college taking finals. So I should be able to have a baby, right? Well, uh, an article from NPR in 2011 uh, talked about a survey that was funded by the biopharmaceutical company EMD Serrano, which found women dramatically underestimate how much fertility declines with age and how much time it actually takes to get pregnant. And this is in line with a 2011 New York Times article we found that talked to a lot of women who were very surprised that they could not get pregnant immediately. I mean, I will say that was a classic kind of New York Times trend piece, mm-hmm. though, where they talked to, you know, a number of very well off women who, I don't know, it was the tone of it was almost, um, I don't know, derogatory towards them because they would talk about how, you know, she she looks so young because she's had some Botox and but she can't, you know, she can't get filler in her tummy in the form of a baby. These women are so dumb, you know, like it, it was <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it did, it did quote uh, Dr. Ingrid Rohde, who's an associate clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And she said they all think they're more fertile than they are. I have patients who say, I'm 48, but everyone thinks I'm 35. Shouldn't I be as fertile as a 38-year-old? And I I, I don't know. I feel like that case of a 48-year-old, A, really wanting to have a baby, 48-year-olds listening, correct me if I'm wrong, and B, how many 48-year-old women look in the mirror and, and think that based on their lack of crow's feet, that they're, that, that must reflect in the youth of their ovaries, 
you know, do, do, do you feel like that's just kind of a, 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 a case of anecdote? Yeah, I mean, it, it for sure could be completely anecdotal. But I'm, I mean, it's entirely possible that, that, um, maybe women who don't understand that just because you do look great and you exercise and you go to yoga every day, you know, being limber and beautiful and, and wrinkleless on the outside, that has nothing to do with the fact that your ovaries are degenerating every year. Well, it's also compelling because it, when you consider the fact that Sylvia Ann Hewlett's book, Creating a Life, that set off all that fear-mongering, came out in 2002, and these articles are coming out 10 years later saying, actually, we're not concerned enough. So, wow. Can we find a happy medium somewhere? Because I feel like I see more of the Sylvia Ann Hewlett end of it saying, mm-hmm. you better have a baby. You know, go ahead and do it. You've got energy now. Yeah, it's going to, you know, make a dent in your paycheck, but you've got to make it work mm-hmm. and work up until, you know, with that pregnancy until you go into labor and then get back in. Um, I feel like there's more than more of that than this idea that we're seeing so many older celebrities having babies. And who mm-hmm. knows whether like whether those are, quote unquote, natural pregnancies right. um, or not. Well, but also, I mean, uh, talking about anecdotally, you know, I when you talk to your friends, like I feel like I have way more friends and acquaintances and colleagues and all that stuff who are like, no, I want to have babies now. Um, because I want to be young with my kids and I want to play with my kids. You know, my parents were older, so I want to be able to get down on the floor and, and play with them and not run out of energy. I feel like I, I hear that a lot more from people I know than like, eh, I'll get around to it. Exactly. And the older that I get, the more those conversations definitely come up and the more cognizant they are of a specific time frame because it used to just be oh do you want to have babies or not in a very kind of abstract way and now it's i want to be pregnant by the time i am fill in the blank yep you know um so whoa so what do we take away from all of this caroline um i think not to not to turn this into a cop-out but i mean i i think what i learned and what was reinforced is that your eggs are not my eggs, Kristen. Thank God, because that would be creepy and almost impossible. But we all, I mean, we all have different health experiences that um, dictate, you know, whether you will be able to get pregnant at 37 and whether I would. Yeah, I mean, and, and the tips, honestly, for minimizing pregnancy risk for women over 35 are pretty much the same for those under 35, it's stuff like taking prenatal vitamins, seeing your doctor for pregnancy checkups, eating well, exercising, cutting out nicotine, alcohol, drugs, things that you should do anyway, essentially being healthy. Um, but uh, I take away from this that 35 is not necessarily the signpost. You know, yeah. it's it's not... Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I think it's it's not 35 is not a time when you're like counting down to it and you start to panic. I mean, I I think we have quite a bit more time after that. So I I don't want anybody to feel guilty for choosing a career right now or travel or school over or just not having a baby right now. Right. Because they just don't want one right now or or ever. And And I know that I'm sure that there are 
women 35 and older who are listening. And you're the ones that I, I'm so curious to hear from because I'm wondering what kind of external pressure for women over 35 that they get. Because I have a feeling that hearing these kinds of statistics affect us a lot differently than they affect them. Because mm-hmm. for you and me, it's not, we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. But I wonder for women who are in that demographic, um, and, and men who are in relationships with women who are in that demographic, how, how that goes, um, and, and what, what your doctor does and doesn't tell you. And also this whole celebrity factor. Is right. it really something that's altering our perception of fertility? Um, so let us know your thoughts on this one. I'm, I'm going to be really curious to, to hear what folks have to say. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast and leave us a note over on Facebook. Like us while you're at it. And we've got a couple of letters to read. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with Geico. It's almost better than sports. And now back to our letters. We've got a couple letters here on our episode on ASMR. We got a surprising number of letters on that one. Some from people who knew exactly what we were talking about and others who didn't have a language or didn't know that ASMR was a thing until they listened to the podcast. So I have one here from Laura who has experienced ASMR and she even watches the videos. She says, I was super excited when I saw the title of your latest podcast and even more excited when you started off by saying that you had experienced ASMR yourselves. It's such a weird concept to get across to people who don't experience it, but you did a lovely job. Like many other people, I had experienced ASMR, but I didn't know what it was or that other people had it. About a year ago, I watched an ASMR-er showing off a Buffy the Vampire Slayer collection I'm a Buffy nerd. I started off thinking, this is so silly and odd. But I kept watching, and then I started to get the tingles. 
Upon clicking through her other videos, I kept seeing the term ASMR in the titles and Googled it. Mind blown. Mm -hmm. I'm still developing my triggers. Many of the normal things work, like soft speaking or deliberate repetitive motions, nail tapping, crinkly sounds, brushing things. My earliest memory of getting tingles was with one of my friends in elementary school. She would often do these very deliberate, repetitive motions that made me zone out in a good, relaxing way. Also, PBS staples Bob Ross and Y. Lana of the Yoga Series were soft speakers who triggered me before I knew what triggering was. For the roleplay videos, I do sort of have to detach myself from the experience to enjoy it. I'm watching a video of someone pretending to paint my face, so I will look like a tiger. This is crazy. For me, <laughs> it is really about the soft speaking actions and sound, so I prefer the videos that highlight those elements. Hmm. I have one here from Carrie who says that uh, last week I subscribed to stuff mom never told you, and I love it. Hooray! Welcome, Carrie. We're so happy to have you. She says, today I listened to the ASMR podcast during work, and I was so shocked that there's a name for this experience. I thought I was the only one. I had to stop what I was doing and write this email. I remember having the experiences a lot during college when I'd help fellow students write and edit their college papers or when I'd explain difficult concepts in literature to them. I was an English major. I'd get an extremely calming, tingling feeling, almost warm and fuzzy, and it was like the rest of the world was blocked out. I'd feel completely safe. I think in part it was the students' reliance on me to help them through a task that made me feel this way. I've also experienced it at one of my first jobs when I was training some women on how to use the company's medical software. I think I'd feel embarrassed because I hardly knew these people, yet I'd have this brain orgasm that made me feel comfortable with them. I never told anyone about these celestial wash, a great term, feelings. They're certainly not sexual feelings and not a fetish at all. Honestly, I don't remember the last time I experienced ASMR and I miss the feeling. I think the closest I've gotten to one in the past few years is reading a book and hearing and feeling my cat purring next to me. I'd have to say that these experiences were primarily in the company of other women. The podcast did mention ASMR releasing serotonin. I'm currently on an SSRI medication for anxiety. Part of the reason why I want ASMR feelings to return is to help me relax. It's not something that I can force, though. It can only happen naturally. I'm so glad that I share ASMR with other people and that I'm not a weirdo. No, you're not, Carrie, and thank you for writing in. And thanks to everyone who has written in. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and find us on Facebook as well as on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And we're also on YouTube. We've got fun new videos that go up four times a week, so you should check them out. They're at YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. And don't forget, friends, to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. 
Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.